What's up, Salt City? How's it going? Yeah, I love this place. This is awesome. Like, I love the vibe in here during worship. This is fun. Thanks for being here. My name is Jordan Adams. I'm the, the college pastor here. And uh, yeah, we're in a, a mini series where we're talking about kind of what makes us Salt City, like who we are as a church. And so last week we talked about celebrating. This week we're talking about connecting. And then next week is contributing. So typically if you're new, we just open up a, a book of the Bible. We teach through it. That's what we're going to do this year. But um, we're excited to kind of introduce who we are to you. So if you want to flip to the book of Hebrews, um, Hebrews 10, it'll also be on the screens, but we love it when you follow along in your Bible. And so if, you, if you've got an app or a Bible, whatever, go ahead and flip there. I'm going to read a chunk of this just to, to start out. We'll kind of expand a little bit further than this, but I want to read the section that's sort of directly about community. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so I feel like I'm starting to get this adult life thing figured out a little bit. Uh, so I drove Drew's minivan the other day. I feel like that was an important step. I got a kid on the way, so I feel like that's adulting pretty hard. I, uh, I've talked about this before in sermons, but I really care about my lawn. Like, I just want my grass to look good. I think about it when I'm gone, um, which I don't understand, right? Like, I never wanted to be that guy, but I'm becoming that guy. Okay, but one of the things that I haven't figured out is adult friendships. Okay, okay actually, I realized as I said that, this is not a plea for help, okay? Before I continue... <laughs> Like, I, I do have friends. I don't want your pity friendship. I mean, like, we can hang out. Like, we can be friends, but not just because you feel bad for me. Okay. Anyway, so adult friendship. How does this work? Like, when you're a kid, uh, like, all you got to do is show up and ask if somebody wants to hang out. Like, you go, you're, you're new to a town. You knock on the door. Hey, can Jimmy come out to play? I'm not going to go to my neighbor, knock on the door, and say, hey, can Bob come out to play? Like, that's weird. Okay, like... So, and, and we have that a little bit as a church, right? But if you're not involved in a community like this, like, what do you do? Like, maybe you go to the bars, right? So, we're talking about a bars a lot today. You mentioned it, and then I was going to talk about it, but, you know, whatever. That's not normal, but let's, let's we're going there. Um, so, maybe you go to the bars, and, like, if you're going to ask somebody on a date, like, that makes sense. Hey, can I buy you a drink? Okay, then I ask you on a date. What if you just want, like, friendship, what do you do there? So let's say I'm sitting at a bar and I'm drinking a Diet Coke because we're Christians. Okay, we get weird about the alcohol thing. I'm not going to open up that can of worms. So I'm drinking my Diet Coke alone at the bar. And some dude walks up to me, sits down and says, hey, can I buy you a drink? I'm immediately like, this dude's going to murder me. Like, I'm like, this is weird. But let's say I really want my Diet Coke. And, and so I take the Diet Coke from him. And then at the end of the conversation, like, how does he seal this deal? Like, Hey, you want to be friends? Like, no, is my answer to that question. This whole scenario is very weird. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. We all, like, want deep, meaningful relationships, but it's actually really hard. It's really hard just, like, practically. It's really hard for some other reasons that I want to talk about. But I, I looked up this, this study that was done recently. I couldn't believe this. Um, it said that 54% of Americans report feeling lonely and isolated through the majority of their life. 
in like the most socially connected society ever, over half of the people that we're interacting with feel like they're alone in life. And, and maybe we are a little bit better off as a church, but my guess is the statistics aren't really that different. So that means we're talking about community and we're going to talk about how great this is. And the whole time, half of you feel like you're alone in life. If you're a freshman in college right now, you're particularly feeling this, right? Like you just got ripped out of all of the relationships that you had. You got put in a new place and all you want right now is like friendship, meaningful relationships. And, and I, I've talked to a few of you about this, but I want to clue you in on this. You're going to feel like you're alone in that, but everyone else is feeling that too. They're all just faking it. Okay, so you're all doing this thing where you really want relationships and you're acting like you're fine, but everyone's a little freaked out right now. And here's why. Because we have this, this longing, this ingrained desire in us for community, for real relationships. It's, it's universal. If you are a human being, you have to have relationships. Why? Why? Here's the primary reason, because you were created in the image of God, and community is who God is. Okay, so let me, let me kind of zoom out a little bit on that and sort of explain that statement. So in Genesis 1, where we have sort of the origin story of the universe, God's creating stuff, and then he goes to create man, and there's this like weird detail in there that if you pay attention to it, it makes you think. He, he says, let us create man in our image. Why is that plural? Who's he talking to? Is he talking to the animals? Does he have like a squirrel and like, hey, let's create man in our image? No, he's talking to himself. But that's not weird for God because he's a community in and of himself. So we have a triune God. That means there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they're all unified in one person. How that works, I don't know. If you've got that figured out, come explain it to me after the service. I'd love to hear you out. But I'm okay with some of the mystery in that because I'm not God, and I'm not going to understand everything about him. But what I can tell you is that's amazing. That that God didn't create us because he sort of had a need for some friends. Like God throughout all of history has... And it's, yeah, throughout all of history and into the future will eternally exist in perfect community where God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are mutually sort of submitting to each other and loving each other. And he didn't need a thing. He had perfection in his community. And so here's what this means is we were created to be like him in that. We were created in his image, and part of what that means is to demonstrate that community, and it means that community, connecting with other people, is intrinsically valuable. Okay, so I, I know I'm getting a little heady there. Okay, intrinsically valuable. So there's a lot of things in your life that are not necessarily intrinsically valuable. They're, value, they're valuable to you because of their utility, okay? So here's what I mean. You go to buy a car. What's your goal? Buy a car that works instead of a car that doesn't work. It's amazing how long it took me to figure that out. Guys, if you're new to buying cars, there is always just a used Kia in the back of every car dealership that you will think, this is cheap, it's going to be fine. It's never fine. Quit buying the used Kias. Okay, so you buy a car 
for their utility, right? Hopefully, you don't give your spouse a grade at the end of the week, right? Hopefully, your spouse doesn't come up to you at the end of the week, say, how did I do this week? Eh, it was like a B minus. Why? What's the difference? Because you're not grading your spouse on their utility. They're intrinsically valuable. They're just valuable because of their existence. This is what I'm saying to you is that community in and of itself, Christian community is inherently valuable because when we engage in Christian community, it's an expression of who God is. And when you live in community, you are being like God. You're doing what you were created for. You're imaging, you're representing him. But here's my question. If community is intrinsically valuable, if, if we were created for this thing, why is it so hard? Why do 54% of the people feel alone? Why is there division? Why is there bitterness? Why is there frustration and anger and brokenness if we were literally designed for it? Well, here's why. It's because sin has absolutely marred one of God's best designs for us. So we talk a lot about how sin separates us from God, which it does, and that's important, but sin also separates us from each other. And, and here's what sin in your heart will tell you, that you don't need other people, that, that you can get through this life on your own, that, that people will just kind of slow you down or hurt you, and, and that you can pursue life on your own, that you're strong enough and that you need to be self-dependent. And that's our culture, isn't it? Like, what are some of the, the predominant American values? Individualism, right? That your primary identity is that you're an individual and that you know what you want and then you gotta go get what you want. You know what that does is it makes everyone else in your life a competitor for what you want, an obstacle that you can get over instead of your family that's helping you get there. What sin will tell you, what our culture will tell you, is that you need to be a strong, independent, self-possessed person, and that that's what it looks like to live the good life. And here's the deal, maybe some of you aren't as inclined towards that, but you've been hurt by people like that. So you've had people in your life that you've trusted, and they've run you over. They've used that trust, they've manipulated that relationship to benefit themselves, and so now it's hard for you to trust people. And your response to that has been to insulate yourself from people so that they can't hurt you anymore. But here's what I wanna tell you, the Christian life is exactly the opposite of that way of thinking. It's a life not of self-dependence, but of interdependence. We need each other, that's where we're strong. And I want to show you this in the text, right? So, so Hebrews 10, says this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Okay, so that's this beautiful, hope-filled statement that we can come near to God and we can be assured of the relationship that we have with him. But then you skip down to the next paragraph and this is what it says, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Okay, what just happened? 
Those two statements seem to be like they, they couldn't be any farther from each other. You have this, be assured of your hope and your salvation, and then later on you have this fearful expectation of judgment. And in between those two, sandwiched in between those two phrases, is our section today on community. So here's, here's what I want to show you. One of the primary differences between assurance of faith in your life and the fearful expectation of judgment is commitment to Christian community. That, that what it means to follow Jesus for the long haul, to be assured in your faith with him, that means that you will be in deep Christian community. Because there's no such thing as a mature Christian who's walking through life alone. There's no such thing as a mature individual Christian. And here's why. Because at some point in your life, sin will crop up in your heart and it will tell you that following Jesus isn't worth it. And you will begin to believe that you have a better plan for your life than Jesus does. And even though you've claimed him and said, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life, at some point, sin will become attractive to you. You'll forget how beautiful Jesus is and you will want to walk away. You'll want to pursue sin instead of pursuing Jesus. And this is what community does is it holds on to you and doesn't let you go. I say this a lot, I think it's important, I'm gonna keep saying it. I think the largest indicator of if you will follow Jesus for the rest of your life is Christian community, deep Christian community. I think more so than like personal devotions, prayer time, discipline, okay, that stuff is important, don't like quote me on that and leave and say my pastor told me I don't have to read my Bible, that's not what's happening here. But I'm saying I think even more so than that is being deeply invested in a Christian community that will hold you to Christ. And here's why I care about this. There's a couple reasons. One of them is when I think about that point, there's names in my head of my friends that I've watched walk away from Jesus. Of people that I loved and respected and looked up to where sin became enticing to them. And so they started to pull themselves out of community a little bit more, a little bit more so that they could sin. And eventually they cut me out of their life entirely so that they could pursue the life that they wanted and stop pursuing Jesus. This is what I want to tell you. And I'm, I'm so glad you're here, right? Like this is a step towards Christian community, but I want you to know that if you don't have deep, meaningful Christian relationships in your life, people who actually know what's going on with you, you are in danger. You need that. The second reason it's important to me that, that community kind of holding on to you is because I've gone through stretches in my life like that where I needed that community to hold on to me. And so some of you guys know my story. I don't have time to kind of tell the whole thing. But I've gone through stretches where I've, I've fallen into sin and I just didn't want to be that guy that kept confessing the same old sins that I used to fall into. And the guilt of that, and, and not even just one in particular, but just like kind of struggling in my relationship with Jesus, the guilt of that started to pull me away from him. And here's what happened is I, I fell into stretches of my life where I was depressed and where I was anxious. 
and where I didn't know how to believe that Jesus loved me. I don't think I ever doubted his existence, the, the intellectual part of it, but I doubted like my ability to be in relationship with him. And I knew what was true, but I couldn't get my heart to believe it. And here's what happened, is people in my life held on to me. In particular, my wife, who just spoke truth into my life, continually repeated the gospel to me, forgave me and loved me and helped me remember what Jesus is like. And I was afraid that if people really saw who I was, that they were going to run from me. But here's what they did the opposite. They ran to me. And and my church surrounded me and they picked me up and they believed for me when I didn't know how to believe. And they hoped for me when I didn't know how to hope. And here's the deal. In those moments of my life, I knew that Jesus was intellectually true, but I didn't know how to get myself to actually live that, to actually believe it in my felt experience. But here's what brought me back is I saw the gospel lived out in people. I saw the gospel actualized through relationship of people who pursued me. They held on to me. You need community like that. And, when, and, and sometimes we go to these, these conferences where people will ask us what our like discipleship and evangelism strategy is and we kind of don't know how to answer it because it's like community. Like Christians hanging out together, being intentional in each other's lives, that's how people learn how to follow Jesus. There was a lot of people who came to Christ last year, who became Christians last year, which is such a cool story in our church. And almost all of them would say that the primary reason they started following Jesus was because they saw the gospel lived out in other Christians. In other words, they got in deep, meaningful relationships and they figured out what it would look like to be a Christian and they figured out that they could be a part of that too. And so it's it's this, this beautiful, powerful, supernatural thing that God can create in our church, where he can change lives through the relationships that we have together. So why do we struggle with it? And and I think our church like is killing it in this, by the way. You guys have been friends to me as we've transitioned into this role. You've been friends to each other. I love our church. We have a blast here. But I think there's even more room to grow in this. So let me lay out a few things that would keep us from that kind of biblical goal of community. I'm calling them community killers because that's what you do when you preach. You have like little catchphrases, right, that make people remember it. So this is, these are my community killers. All right, first one, expectations. Some of you have way too high of expectations for community and I just fed into them right there. Okay, let me talk to you. If you show up at Connection Group and kind of sit down and go, love me, I'm here, change my life. Okay, like, come on, that's not how it works, all right? Like, we're still talking about, like, normal human relationships. So typically what community looks like is you show up to stuff, you talk about stuff, and then you leave, like, like ordinary people. But here's the deal, if you do that long enough, it'll change your life gradually, progressively, slowly, but it will change your life and you don't get to be the one that defines if that's good for you or not. Jesus has already said that it is and so just do it and trust him. So too high of expectations, but there's some of us that have too low of expectations for community. Here's what I mean is you don't see quite how valuable it is and so it's not a priority in your life. 
You guys know this, right? You, you, you might be busy, and I get that, and there's some like, legitimate hurdles that you got to overcome for the type of community that we're talking about, but you will prioritize things that you think matter in your life, right? Things that you value, you will give priority to. And I'm saying for you, community needs to be higher on the value list than it is currently. Verse 25 says, do not neglect to meet together. So he's saying be disciplined to have Christian relationships. But I want to talk about what that means specifically. So I think sometimes the way that we've applied that is by saying, hey, show up at church. And yes, you absolutely should. Like, I'm a pastor, okay? Like, I do want you to come. And I'm glad that you're here. And that's a major part of your walk with Jesus, but it's not the whole thing. It's not everything. In both verses 24 and 25, he uses the term one another. So he says, stir up one another and encourage one another. So, so it's this. So like right now, you guys are all, you're facing me. Like I'm talking to you. You're all quiet. You're facing me. But what he's talking about here is this like, inward facing like mutuality where you're in each other's lives and, and you're propping up and supporting the other one and they're propping up and supporting you. It's this thing that you're doing together. Okay, so one of the best communities that I've ever been a part of was when I was in drama in high school. Yeah, I was in plays. That was a, that was a thing I did back in the day. Uh, one of the best castings I ever got was in Charlotte's Web where I was Wilbur. <laughs> Wilbur is the pig, if you didn't understand why people are laughing. So I wore pink overalls and had a pigtail. You're welcome for that image. One of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Basketball team showed up in the front row and made fun of me like while I was on stage, but you know, I'm fine, everything's, oh, I got like a little, oh, like I, it's fine now, it's funny now, okay, you don't have to feel bad for me. I get lots of pity things today, okay. Anyway, we're back. So I was in drama in high school and and it was like this beautiful community. It was incredible. Why? I mean, I think it was for a few reasons. One of them was just that you're working towards this common goal and you all need each other for that common goal. So if you're on stage and somebody forgets their lines, it gets really weird real fast. And so is that making, is this making noise? Do I need to pull this away? Are we good? We good, Josh? Okay. So you're all working towards this common goal together, right? If somebody forgets their lines, like you, you need to not only know your own lines, you need to know their lines, you need to kind of pick each other up. And then you're together every night for like a couple months where you're hanging out with the same people, you're all in this thing together. Okay, so imagine my, my senior year when you go out for that curtain call where you go out to bow, right? We've been working on this thing forever. This is like kind of this rewarding moment for what we've just pulled off. And we hold hands together and we're about to bow and some rando from the audience runs up on stage, grabs my hand and takes the bow with me. I'm not gonna be super happy about that. Why? It's like, bro, you were not in this. Like you were not in this play. With, you were in the room, but you weren't a part of this. Okay, here's my point. Being in a play is a lot different than just showing up and watching one. And some of you through your Christian lives, you've shown up and you've sort of watched Christianity happen on a stage. And I want to invite you into the process. I want to invite you into the play. Now, just to clarify, the illustration breaks down a little bit of you being here is actually super important. We believe the word of God preached changes lives. We're pumped that you're here, okay? 
but we want to invite you in to the in the week stuff, to being in each other's lives, the nitty gritty, the, the process, right? And, and one of the primary ways that we do that are those connection groups that we talked about. We want you to not just watch what's happening, but come in and be a part of the family. So, so this is like what we're looking at. When, when you do that, when you commit to a community, you become something more than just a collection of individuals. So you know those like party packs of Halloween candy? Like, like Halloween's coming up, right? You get the bag of like assorted Halloween candies that are all individually wrapped. Okay, we don't want you to be that where we're individually wrapped Christians that just happen to be in the same place. We want to be chocolate cake. Okay, we want to be like a variety of ingredients that all get put together to form something new and better. I should have said pie, actually, because this is my rant that pie is better than cake. But anyway, yeah, amen. That dude knows what's up. Okay, why is cake at everything? It should be pie. All right, so we're back. But yeah, we want to be like, we want to be together. We want to be something that's greater than the sum of our parts. We want to be this family that is kind of one thing. Okay, so that's expectations. Second community killer, I'm going to throw out the technical term, the warm fuzzies, okay? The warm fuzzies is a community killer. Here's what I mean, is when you think about relationships and you're just like, oh, this like makes me feel nice, I'm going to have friends, this is going to be super fun, okay, that's great, like, like we do want to be friends together, but why do you need the, the church for that, right? Like, this is a cool city. Go to a concert. Like, go, go, go out to dinner. Go hang out with people. You know, depending on your demographic, like, join an adult softball league. That'll be invigorating. And, you know, and, like, do whatever. Like, there's, there's other... I've been in an adult softball league, and it was amazing. Okay. So, but there's other ways to establish friendships. Here's the point. Christian community is not just for friendship, it is for that, but it's for more. It's to conform you into the image of Jesus. To conform you into the image of Jesus. We want community naturally because we were made to be like God, and we need community because we need to become more like God. And the way that we become conformed into the image of Jesus is through relationships. This is verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Okay, so that word stir up is kind of an intense word. It's used a few other places in the Bible, typically around like either an argument, a fight, or a war. Okay, so it's, it, the word means to spur. You know what a spur is? Like on the back of a cowboy's boot, the thing that you kick into the side of the horse. So he's saying spur each other. It's not super comforting, but what's the point? Kind of kind of push each other further than you would go on your own. And even if that's uncomfortable, if it produces godliness, if it produces further relationship with Jesus, then it's worth it. The goal of community is not that we would all feel nice and happy. The goal of community is that we would be pushed to love and good works. Pushed to actually live the life that we claim to want to live. Okay, so... Before I met Jessamy, I lived like a caveman, okay? Like, I, I did not know what I was doing in life, and I, and I, like, I ate, like, a full-out, like, meat and potatoes diet at, like, every meal. There was a year where I ate chicken strips every day. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know. I'm aware. I'm aware now. Um, 
chicken strips every day. And, I, and then I was like, okay, I should probably think about my health. And I saw people who run eating yogurt. So I was like, I'll get a side of yogurt with my chicken strips. <laughs> that was my solution. So, so then I met Jessamy, right? And she started giving me stuff like spinach, which I hated. I am not a rabbit, but, <laughs> but it was good for me. And, and then she, guys, she gave me kale. Like, kale used to be the decorations around your food. Like, but it was good for me, right? And we've, like, gotten in, like, some arguments about this. And, but here's the deal. Jessamy doesn't want to just give me what I need. She doesn't want to just give me what I want. She wants to give me what I need, right? She loves me enough to actually say, like, hey, like, this is hard, but you, you need this for your life, do you have relationships like that? Like, do you have people in your life who are willing to say hard things to you? We need to be the type of church who will say to each other's faces what we say behind each other's backs. Why? Because following Jesus is that important. And it's not actually loving to not say hard things to people because typically what you're trying to do there is preserve your own image. You don't want that person to be upset with you or think poorly of you. You need to care enough about that person to not care about what they think of you, but to help them, to speak the truth to them in love. And you need the type, the type of depth of relationship to be able to do it. All right, so last community killer is fear. Here's what I think is true, which is just, it's so interesting to me based on how much we need community. I think most of us are afraid of authentic community. The third community killer is fear. We're afraid of authentic community, of actually letting people in to our lives. And there's something sort of like darkly ironic about the way that we live in this because we're afraid of the very thing that we want the most, right? Like the only thing more terrifying to us than being lonely is truly being known for who we are. Because if people really knew us, if they really found out who we are, then we would be exposed. We'd be exposed in our imperfections and our fears and our weakness and our sin. We'd be terrified that we maybe wouldn't live up to their perception of who we are. We're afraid that we would be seen for who we are and not loved, that people wouldn't like what they see. And so we control the image that people see of us. Do any of you have moms growing up or dads that like, when someone came over to the house and there was like one dirty article of clothing on the floor, like thought it was an emergency scenario, right? Like we had like battle stations. If somebody called and was like, I'm coming over, we had like assigned rooms where we threw stuff in the closets. Because like the worst thing imaginable is that someone would know that you're a normal human being with normal lives. And I have PTSD from it, like I still do that. I think that's what we do with relationships. Right, if somebody is getting close to you, you try and clean yourself up, you try and present this image to them that you think they will think is beneficial because you're terrified of them like seeing that you're a normal human being with brokenness. And you're afraid of what they would say or what they would think. 
But here's the deal. In the process of that, you lose community. Because you're stiff-arming everyone in your life. You're not allowing anyone to actually come in. Anyone to actually see the real, messed up, normal human being you. And so you rob yourself of the very thing you want the most. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus sees you. He sees all of it. You can't clean up for him. He knows. And I want you to hear what he has to say about you. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, do you realize how crazy of a statement it is to say that we can have confidence to draw near to the holy place of God? So, so we've been, we've like talked about this a little bit before, but if, if you're newer, this is how this worked. There was the temple where people would go to meet with God, but there was, they were limited in how close they could get to him. And the very near presence of God, kind of where his holiness lived, was in this place called the Holy of Holies, and nobody could go in there, and it was separated by this thick curtain from the rest of the temple. And the only time that anybody went into the Holy of Holies was once a year when the high priest, the supposedly like most holy religious dude who went through all of these like cleansing ceremonies to try and prepare himself to be in the presence of God would get to go in. And this is what they would do. They would tie a rope around his ankle and a little bell. You know why? Because they were afraid that that guy, maybe when he walked into the presence of God, would literally just die on the spot if he wasn't clean enough to be in God's presence. And so if the bell stopped ringing, they would pull him out of the Holy of Holies. Okay, do you think that that high priest had confidence before he walked in to the presence of God? No. He was terrified. He feared for his life. And that's what we deserve to be like before the presence of God. But we don't have to be. You know why? Because we have a new great high priest. His name is Jesus Christ, and this is what he did. He walked into the holy of holies, the near presence of God, knowing that he was going to die there. That's what the cross is, is it's Jesus putting our sin on his back and walking in front of the altar of God and laying himself down there as a sacrifice for sins. He knew he was going to die and he walked in anyway. Why? Verse 20 by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So this is comparing the flesh of Jesus in that curtain that separates people from the presence of God. And it's saying, as Jesus' body was torn on the cross, the curtain that separated people from God forever was also torn. It was ripped in two. And this great high priest that walked into the presence of God never came back out. Why? It's not because he stayed dead. It's because he wanted to invite us in. So he rips the curtain in half and he says, you can walk into the presence of God with me. You can come in. You can have relationship with your king. 
And you know what? When you walk in by faith in Jesus, when you say, I want to follow you, I want to know you, I want to be with God, and you place your faith in him, when you walk in, you walk in arm in arm with other Christians around you. And so you're never alone. Because you're always with your brothers and sisters in Christ and because when you come into the presence of God, he sends his presence to actually live in you. His name's the Holy Spirit and if you've trusted Jesus, he lives in you. Nothing can take him away from you. So you will never be alone, ever. You won't ever be alone because you'll always have the Spirit of God and your brothers and sisters next to you. You've been brought into the inner ring of the community of God. We talked about the Trinity at the beginning. (laughs) By him giving you his spirit, you now are sort of a part of that thing. I'm trying to be careful here because you're not like God, but somehow mysteriously you're brought into that community. And here's what love like that does. It allows you to be freed up to love other people instead of use them. So often relationships are about using people to get what we want, the love, the affirmation, the affection that we need. But if you have literally every need met by Jesus Christ, then you're freed up to quit pursuing your own needs and to offer to help someone else. Love like that frees you up to love other people like he loved you. And here's the second thing that it means, that you can be exactly who you are and you can let people in. Because if Jesus has seen you at your worst and still loved you, other people can too. I want us to be a community like that. And I want to invite you in to that community. We won't ever live up to that standard. It won't be perfect, but we want to pursue Jesus. We want to get a taste of what he's offered us, and you can come in. We would love for you to be a part of this family. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for letting us in. You could have You could have excluded us. And God, you know I'm afraid, we're all afraid of being alone, of, of not being loved, of being left out. And you've pulled us into the greatest community that's ever existed yourself. And we praise you for it. And Jesus, would this church represent you in the way that we love each other, in the way that we love the people in our lives? Would we put on display for the world, what you're like. And God, would people take steps today, steps that are scary, to to open themselves up, steps into community, steps into further relationship than they ever thought that they would be a part of, and would you give them the grace that they need to do that? Would we be a church that doesn't just hear your word, but, but changes, that moves, that does something because of who you are and because of what you've asked us to do? We love you, and we're excited to to worship you together as a family. Amen.